Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. There are powerful, invisible, and unconscious energy forces that are constantly at work in our lives, involved in shaping who we are. Included in these forces that shape us are our emotions. They impact our lives, they organize our sense of self, and they structure our intentions with one another. But for one reason or another, these emotions with their own specific vibrational energies can often get trapped or stuck. And when lodged in the body, these little balls of energy can interfere with our body's ability to function normally. What if we could tap into our body's inherently designed capacity and desire to heal by unlocking the restorative power of our conscious minds and releasing our emotional baggage, this trapped emotional energy that causes dysfunctions within our body? Well, that's the focus of our podcast today. Welcome to Behavior Health Today, and I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Addressing the topic of energy healing today is my guest, Dr. Brad Nelson. Brad is one of the world's foremost experts in the emerging fields of bioenergetic medicine and energy psychology. He has trained thousands of certified practitioners worldwide to help people overcome physical and emotional discomfort by releasing their emotional baggage. His best-selling book, The Emotional Code, provides step-by-step instructions for working with the body's energy healing power. Brad, welcome to our show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you. Hey, Brad, as we come into this, we got a lot of great things to talk about today, and I'm excited for our listeners to just learn from you and I think have another door opened that they're going to have some access to for healing. But as we as we kind of get started, give us a two-minute drill, history of your background and what brought you into this field of energy healing, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, my story really goes back to when I was seven years old. I was really sick with the measles. And I'd overheard my parents talking and I knew the plan for me was that they were going to be putting me in the hospital the next day. And I was going into something called an oxygen tent. And I didn't really know what an oxygen tent was. The tent part sounded kind of interesting, but I was way too sick to think about camping. And my folks had made a bed for me on the couch upstairs so I could be near their bedroom. And I'm lying there on the couch. And I remember this like it happened yesterday. My folks came into the room. My mother said to my father, she said, honey, will you kneel down with me and say a prayer for our boys who will be able to get well? And so they did. And in the middle of this short, heartfelt prayer, it was probably the first time I'd ever heard my dad pray, this change began at the top of my head and it went through my body in the space of about half a second. And I was instantly, completely healed. Mm -hmm. When you have something like that happen, you can't ever forget it. And so that taught me that, it taught me a couple of things. It taught me that there's a higher power, apparently, an unseen power we can draw upon for help. And it also taught me that healing doesn't necessarily have to take a long time. It can happen instantly because it did happen to me. And that experience is burned into my mind. I remember it like it happened yesterday. Well, about seven years later, I ended up with kidney disease and I was cured of that through the efforts of some holistic doctors. Western medicine had nothing really to offer. And so that taught me that healing sometimes can come from places that you might not necessarily think. And I decided that's what I want to do with my life. And then I became a computer programmer. I took a class kind of by mistake or on a whim many years ago. And I became a computer programmer and I had a business called the Computer Tutor. 
and I would go into people's offices and businesses and they'd have a new IBM PC or something and they wouldn't have any software. So I'd write the software for it. And then it was really kind of an unexpected question that my father asked me one day that brought me back to this old dream of being a healer mm. and going into the healing arts. And it was an answer to prayer that I received that brought me actually back into that whole dream because I was going a different direction with computers and business and so on. Yeah. So I went to chiropractic school. And when I got out, I started working with patients. I gradually became more and more obsessed with really getting to the, the true underlying causes of what their problems really were. And I can remember when I was in school, hearing my neurology instructor say how the brain was this amazing computer. And, and I can remember sitting there thinking, gee, it's a computer. I wonder if we'll ever have the technology to access that computer because that computer within everybody should know what they really need. It should have answers for us. And wouldn't that be an amazing way to take care of our patients? And in a nutshell, that is exactly what all this work is all about that I've been so privileged to help bring into the world. Because you see, within each one of us is this internal computer, this subconscious mind. It has all the answers, and it's very willing to give up those answers if we know how to ask the questions. And so it was a gradual process, really, where as I worked with patients day in and day out, I gradually learned more and more about how to access that computer. And one of the things that I found as years went on was that no matter what my patients were suffering from, no matter how young or old they were, no matter whether they were dealing with physical pain or something emotional or mental or depression or anxiety or phobias or infertility or panic attacks or asthma or digestive disorders or some kind of self-sabotage, they all had something in common. When I would ask the subconscious mind, the internal computer, what the underlying reasons were, mm -hmm. what kept showing up was something that I called emotional baggage, the energy of those emotional experiences that would be left behind after the experience was over for people. And so emotional baggage, uh, we now call it trapped emotions. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is if you, to understand this, you have to think of the body for what it really is. You know, we're so used to living in these physical bodies and they have weight and they have substance and so on. And, but the reality of it is that these bodies of ours, of course, are made of energy. And if you, if you zoom in on your hand with a big enough microscope and you're eventually zoomed in past the cells and past the organelles and past the molecules to the level of the atom, you're looking at an atom, you see there's really nothing in there. It's just empty space and some little energies that are zipping around at the speed of light and vibrating. And that's what we are. And the next atom's a long distance away. So that's really what we are. We're beings of pure energy. Well, we know that thought is energy and it's measurable and emotions are also thought, a kind of thought, they're a particular frequency. What I believe is that every single emotion has its own particular vibrational frequency. Now, everything in the universe is frequency and vibration, right? Everything's energy. And when you're feeling an intense emotion, and if you either decide to not allow that emotion to be felt and you bury that emotion, or if you decide to become really involved with that emotion and 
you enhance that emotion to where you're really upset, yeah. the energy of that emotion can become trapped in the body because essentially that, that emotional process mm -hmm. that we go through, I call it the emotional loop. You know, when, when something happens, you, you start to feel a certain emotion, you start to feel the feelings and maybe the physical sensations, the thoughts that go along with that emotion. Then usually what, ha what happens is we acknowledge that and then we allow that energy to kind of fade away and dissipate and go away. And then that emotional right. loops closed right. and that experience is over, Yeah, but we can interrupt that experience. And in those two ways, either by burying it or getting too involved. And so then that energy becomes stuck in the body. And I saw amazing things back when I was in practice. One of the first cases that I saw was a woman that came in to see me who thought she was having a heart attack. And she had crushing chest pain, difficulty breathing. Her left arm was totally numb. Left side of her face was numb. And I told my staff, we might need an ambulance. We were right next to a medical center. And so I said, just give me one minute. And I tested her doing some muscle testing, getting answers from her internal computer and found that she had a trapped emotion. The emotion was grief. And I asked a couple more questions and found that this had actually begun about three years before. That's when this had become trapped in her body. And when I arrived at that, she all of a sudden just burst into tears. And she said, I can't believe that's affecting me. I thought I dealt with all that. And I said, well, what happened? And she said that three years before she'd found out her husband had been having an affair and confronted him with the evidence and the whole marriage blew up. And that was the end of that marriage. And she'd spent time in therapy and had even recently gotten remarried. So as far as she was concerned, that was just her ex. But as far as her body was concerned, that energy was still there and it was so powerful. It was actually creating all these symptoms because when I released that emotional energy, by just swiping a few times on the middle of her back down the governing meridian with a magnet, all of a sudden that energy, the feeling came back into her arm and into her face, the chest pain, the difficulty breathing it was all gone just instantly. So I remember after she left my office sitting at my desk and my head was spinning, just thinking, wow, what in the world did I just witness? Yeah. How could an emotional energy create physical symptoms like that? But what I've seen since then is that 90% of all the physical discomfort, the pain that people have is actually due to emotional baggage. We see that releasing that emotional baggage can make immediate changes in how people feel. Yeah. You know, I find the same thing. I know the research shows that most folks that go see their primary care physician, about 68% that are presenting to the primary care physician have a mental health component to that physical disorder that is manifest, that gets their attention. For one reason or another, most, most of us don't know how to pay attention to some of those emotions that are there, or we think we're over them. And when we're talking about emotions and feelings. Oftentimes I tease the two apart because they get used interchangeably, which is fine. But emotions typically are just more my automatic and instinctive responses to a stimuli, whether it's a divorce or whether it's a trauma or whatever it may feel, while feelings tend to be more kind of that the, the, the conscious experience and the interpretation of these emotions, whether or not we recognize that we're interpreting them in such a way. And some of those at times get locked, get stuck. You're talking about what do you find being unique about some feelings and emotions that we feel with some intensity, but don't tend to get stuck and others that tend to get stuck that then result in the, you know, the dysfunction that you're finding. What tends to be those that are more stuck tendon, you know, as they come into play? 
Well, you know, that's a, it's a good question. We have a list in the emotion code of 60 emotions. Mm-hmm. We divide it up into two columns and six rows. And I think that the more, the more damaging emotions are probably the ones that have more to do with relationships than anything yeah. else. And in fact, it's interesting because when we talk about emotional energies that are passed down, that are inherited, we see the ones that are passed down for many generations mm-hmm. are often the ones that seem to be, for example, about grief and yes. heartache and yeah. betrayal, things like that. You don't, you don't see emotions like feeling peeved about something. You don't, you don't, I don't think I've ever seen that one be passed down very far. And so I think that gives us a little bit of a clue into the weight of these emotions. It's really interesting. And the whole aspect of, of how emotional energies are passed down is also a really fascinating topic. And that's something that we're able to deal with in the emotion code very easily. And the fascinating thing, Graham, is that the subconscious mind within each one of us is so intelligent. Uh, it knows all about our emotional baggage. It knows yeah. if we inherited some of that and it knows how far back it goes and the exact genealogy and who it yeah. originated with and when. I think it's an important piece you're raising right now because we think, well, maybe, you know, if I just manage whatever I'm going through right now, I'm going to be okay. And it's not going to affect anybody, but no. If these emotions become the feelings that get stuck for whatever reasons, maybe they're more nuanced or there's some complexity to them. And for whatever reasons, these get lodged and they interfere with the potential that I have for my fullest functioning to be my greatest self. If that gets stuck, not only do I get stuck, but what you're raising here is that transgenerationally, this gets passed down. This, we can even name it a trauma that that, that gets stuck. And you're talking about, so it's not just me that would suffer from it. But it's those generationally following me that would be impacted by it as well. That's one of the videos that I watched on a woman you worked with in real time by proxy. And you helped her understand that this was this was an inherited trapped emotion for her passed down through an emotional trauma at birth, at the moment of conception, passed to her, that then she's at risk for passing down to her children as well. Talk about the different ways that these emotions do get passed down. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Science, of course, is finding out about these inherited energies. We'll call them energies because that's, that's really, of course, what they are. The, the famous study that was done not that long ago was mice. And what they did is they, they took mice and they, at the same time that a mouse would receive a shock, an electrical shock, they would also blow the scent of cherry blossom into the area where the mouse was. So pretty soon the mouse would in would associate cherry blossom scent with a shock. And they did that a few times to a point where the mouse would, would then have a fear reaction if it smelled cherry blossom. Yeah. Kind of a Pavlovian reaction. Pavlovian, well, yeah. And of course, what they found then was that the descendants of those mice would have the same reaction, even though they had never smelled cherry blossom in their entire lives. When they would smell it, they'd have a fear reaction. So there was exactly. something being passed down. And then the next step is that they took sperm from these mice and they impregnated female mice that had never been shocked or ever smelled cherry blossom scent either. And those descendants also 
had the same reaction of fear when they would smell cherry blossom. So there's some kind of an inherited process going on. Yeah. Well, with the emotion code, what, what we have found is that it's all about energy. And if an ancestor has some experience that is intense enough, that emotional energy will become trapped in their body. And when they contribute to the creation of a new life, their subconscious mind apparently will sometimes make a decision about passing on this emotional energy to that offspring. And I think it's a survival thing, kind of like with the mice, right? It's the same thing. Yes, it is. But what's fascinating is we've seen people, for example, who had a hard time making money because of what had happened was eight or 10 generations before somebody was thrown into the poorhouse, some ancestor. We've seen people who have had difficulty with relationships, finding love because their great grandmother was jilted at the altar, things like that. And those energies get passed down. But the beauty of it is those energies can also be found and can be released really easily, just like any other trapped emotion. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. Yeah, you know, I see that all the time in my practice as well, where this generational theme, I work kind of thematically at times, this generational theme where it's jilted at the altar or you know, themes of grief or loss or betrayal. And you're right. We we can literally see on MRIs areas of our brain, whether it's our amygdala or our limbic region, these things light up when we have that emotion stimulated. Little do we know it. And sometimes we kind of go into an unknown fight or flight experience, you know, where something is literally activated and we're reacting out of that. But that also fires cortisol too. And that kind of gets into our, our systems and that creates kind of a internally eroding away of different parts of our body that does lead to, you know, the dysfunction that you're, that you're talking about here. I, I would love to segue a little bit here if we could, Brad, and talk about understanding now how things get trapped, how things emotion-wise can be identified. But I'd like to move into how are you helping folks identify how to recognize what it is specifically how far back you can go generationally, and what you do once you determine what it is that's stuck emotionally. Sure. Well, basically, the process is as follows. Number one, you have to have a way to access the information that's in the subconscious mind. And so we teach a number of different methods to do that in the emotion code and in the body code as well. The mo most commonly what we do is we teach people how to do some form of muscle testing. Now, if you're muscle testing another person, you can have them hold their arm out parallel to the floor as you ask questions 
their arm will stay strong if the answer coming from the subconscious mind is yes, and it will weaken if the answer is no. And you can use that same capacity of the subconscious if you're self-testing. And so we teach a number of methods of self-testing as well. Yeah. For example, the ring and ring method where the rings will tend to be stronger on a yes and weaken on a no. So basically there's a very simple process that we teach people where you ask questions. Like, for example, if I'm working on myself, let's say that I have a headache. What I can do is I can ask, do I have a trapped emotion that's contributing to this headache? And maybe I get a yes answer. And then I would go to the emotion code chart and the chart is two columns and six rows. So I would ask, okay, understanding that the subconscious mind knows things that I don't know consciously, I would ask, where's this emotion? Is it in column A or maybe it's in column B? And is it in one of the odd rows? Maybe that's a yes. yes. So then it's in row one or three or five. And then and what you're doing in this process right here, Brad, forgive me for interrupting. What you're doing in sure. this process right here is that subconscious is outside of my awareness, mm -hmm. but you're trusting this internal computer. You're trusting the brain's yes. knowing in kind of in an awe type way that the answers are there. I just have to go find a way to get them. So this muscle testing, yeah. you know, finger to thumb to index finger, and you're kind of pulling them apart. If it sticks, then that's a yes. If it comes apart, it's a no. You're trusting the body's ability, the unconscious, to point you to what that trapped emotion is. Exactly. Yeah. Because what, what we believe and what I've come to know and understand is that the subconscious remembers everything. It knows everything. It's Every face you've ever seen in a crowd and everything yeah. you've ever eaten or touched or tasted or smelled is all in there. And all your emotional baggage is known to the subconscious, yeah. but not to the conscious. The conscious mind is kind of like the peanut brain that's along for the ride, really. And the vast bulk of our intelligence is the subconscious. Mm -hmm. And so we trust it and we allow it to take us to that emotion. And then once we identify an emotion, we'll ask, do we need to know more about this? In other words, we want to give the subconscious mind a chance to tell us if it needs more information brought to conscious awareness about this emotion. And sometimes it does. Yes. And so you might find that something, you know, you might need to identify when did something happened. And typically that's all you'll need to do. If you do need to dig deeper, usually finding when something happened is enough, but with inherited emotions, yes. subconscious typically always wants us to find out at least the genealogy of the first couple of generations and then how many generations it goes back. And sometimes it will want you to know that this started with a male or a female. Mm -hmm. I had an experience myself. One of the most powerful healing experiences that I've had was a couple of years after the emotion code book came out. And I thought I'd cleared all my emotional baggage years before. Right. But I asked my daughter, Natalie, to work on me one day and she's in Seattle and I'm, I was sitting at home here in Southwestern Utah and hung up the phone and she starts working on me. And right away, working on me remotely, and that's another aspect of this work is that energy knows no barriers of distance. And so you can tune in and become entangled with another person's energy with their permission mm. at any distance. And so she's doing that with me and she finds right away, testing me remotely, that I have an inherited trapped emotion. And the emotion is hopelessness. Mm. And I got it from my father. And he got it from his mother and she got it from her mother. And my daughter keeps testing these and it stays in the female line straight back of 22 generations. And when my daughter arrived at the point of origin of this emotional energy, all of a sudden 
she can feel that there's someone standing next to her mm-hmm. and she knows who it is. It's this grandmother that this began with. And my daughter describes how she can actually feel this woman's emotions. She can feel how desperate she is to have this emotional energy released from her posterity, this hopelessness, but also how grateful she is that this is being done. So when my daughter released that trapped emotion, she could feel it released from that grandmother and ripple through and release from all those generations. And that's another aspect of this work that's really interesting. What did you experience in that moment? In that moment, what happened with me was this little voice, this little this background music, this background feeling of hopelessness that had been there every waking hour of my life suddenly shut off. And it was only at that moment that I recognized that it had been there my whole life. And it was life-changing for me. And it was for her too. She's an artist, but had never painted anything until that hopelessness was released. And a year later, she had an art showing in Seattle. And I mean, she's one of the most brilliant artists that I've ever met. And I think that if that had not been released, she may not have ever painted anything. Yeah, I love that story. You're talking about almost like a piano string where you just you you touch one part of it and it reverberates all the way back. Right. And then and then back again, you know, to the to where you're at presently. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. So you're you're talking about how we can use muscle testing, whether it's on ourselves, you can do it by proxy, which is what your daughter was doing with you distally, or you can have someone do it in a I, I watch your conferences where you're showing people and walking people through the muscle testing to determine where on this list with categories in it, what emotions are stuck, where they may be stuck. Where do you go from there? What's the next step? Well, helping people to understand how to find and release their own emotional baggage is a life-changing thing for so many people and helping them to understand how they can do this for their loved ones as well. Parents releasing emotional baggage from their children so that they're, they're not burdened with that so that they can grow up being who they were intended to be. Absolutely. What it's about. Another really important aspect of this work, of course, has to do with the heart. And it's the most important part of the emotion code really is about the heart. And that goes back to what the heart really is. And of course, in Western biology, the heart is nothing more than just a very sophisticated pump. But the ancients believed that the heart was the seat of the soul and the source of love and creativity and romance and the core of our being. And, you know, to us in the modern age, for such a long time, those old ideas have just been considered to be quaint and really poetic license more than anything else. But we started to realize, I think back in the 1960s, when doctors first started doing heart transplants, that there was something else going on because people would come back to the doctor sometimes and they would report strange things like their handwriting had changed or they had memories of being in places that they never had ever visited or that their taste in music or food or sports had totally changed. And so now there are books written about this, how if you receive a heart in a heart transplant from someone else, don't be surprised if that heart brings along certain things that were true affinities for that other person, the things that that person really truly loved. Now you may also love and you may not know why. Yeah. So there's a spirit and an energy in that, like you're saying, that gets transferred over. You also talk about a condition I read about. Maybe you can help our listeners understand it. Described as the heart wall. Tell us well, more ex- about that. Yeah, exactly right. Well, what happened was in 1998, I had an experience where 
my wife woke me up early one morning and told me that she'd had this dream and she asked me to help her decipher the dream. And in the middle of this, all of a sudden, I have what I can only describe as a waking vision where the room that I was in disappeared. And I'm looking at this beautiful, beautiful hardwood floor. And I have this understanding that my wife's heart is underneath this floor. And this lasted for several minutes. It was all high def 3D. I had no idea what this meant at the time. And I told my wife what I was seeing and understanding. She didn't know what it meant either. So we started doing some testing. We prayed and asked for help from up above. Started doing some testing on her subconscious mind and found that, well, first of all, she was born into a family that was kind of dysfunctional and her father was kind of a rageaholic, we'll say. When she was two years old, she apparently had felt like her heart was going to break. And so her subconscious mind started to build a wall around that heart. And that wall was actually made from the energy of her emotional baggage. And that wall continued to get bigger and bigger and more and more layers as time went on yeah. until finally we were able to start taking down those layers. And the price that she paid for having that wall around her heart, it was a protective thing, but the price she paid was that it was hard for her to feel positive emotions, easy to feel negative emotions. She battled with depression and anxiety and she always felt really isolated no matter who she was with. And when the last emotion was taken down and that wall was gone, suddenly she felt like she belonged for the first time and it, it wow. her life transformed. And initially I thought, well, maybe this is, maybe she's the only person in the world that has this, but we know now that about 93% of people in the world actually have what we call a heart wall. And when the wall is taken down, people fall in love who never thought they would. People have creative ideas that start to flow spontaneously. Yeah. I think that the macro picture for the heart wall is that if we can get enough of them removed, it's going to be a huge factor in transforming the world. It's such an ironic thing, isn't it? I, I think the transformative potential, even worldwide, is something that's so possible. And you're talking about, interestingly enough, and I think the ironic piece of it is, is those things that help us deal with, defend against, cope manage those things that could be heartbreaking, literally heartbreaking. We create these walls that kind of protect us, but they inhibit at the same time. Yes, they and do. so oftentimes those compensatory strategies that we use become sadly, paradoxically problematic, both to us personally and then to us relationally. And you're talking about, boy, if we can free these things up, but in order to free that up, you talk about using meridians. You've talked about using some magnetics tools. Tell us about the actual process of releasing that baggage. What does it look like, Brad? Well, once you've identified an emotion that's trapped, and once you've satisfied the subconscious mind's need to have anything else brought to conscious awareness about that emotion, which, like I said, typically might require you to find out when something occurred, and that's pretty easy to do. Yeah. Then what you do is you can use a magnet or your hand, because your hand is also magnetic, to release the trapped emotion. And how we do that is, if you're working on yourself, you can use your hand or a magnet and just start at the forehead and just swipe from your forehead over the top of your head to the back of your neck, three times for a regular trapped emotion and 10 times if it's inherited. Mm. And if you're working with someone else, you could start at the base of their neck and go down to their lower back a few times, three times or 10 times. And what you're doing is you're putting energy into the governing meridian. And the governing meridian is, it's a meridian that travels from the tailbone to straight up the back and over the top of the head to the inside of the upper lip. And we find that we can use a magnet or a hand on really any length of that meridian. 
to put that intention to release that trapped emotion and that energy into that meridian. And because that meridian connects with all the other meridians, it has the effect of releasing that trapped emotion. You could use other things, I'm sure, besides your hand or magnets. You could use any other kind of energy. You could use a laser, for example, or, oh, I don't know. You could use a crystal if you wanted to, whatever. But it all works. But really, the most important thing is your own intention. And, And what that does is it releases that trapped emotional energy in the same way that if you were, for example, to take a credit card out of your wallet and rub a magnet on the magnetic right. strip on the back of your American Express card or your visa, that data is going to get erased and transformed. And same. it's the same thing here. Same idea. Same idea. When you, as you're listening, you can go on to Brad's site. We're going to be talking about that in just a few minutes, how you can find out more about him and discover healing and what he does. But you see what you see the actual process in motion when he does it by proxy. There's a couple of videos on that as well. And when he does it live, that you see the process of releasing that baggage. As we talk about some of the success stories you're talking about, whether it's the woman coming in, you know, feeling like she's having a heart attack, that you release this grief from very early on, or you're talking about your own experience with your daughter who's working with you by proxy as well, or the videos that we watch. How are you able to measure and kind of validate? that there's fundamental change taking place. So we talked about before, There's our, our brain can register and show us through MRIs and other imaging that there is emotion that was once there, that when we work it through, particularly at complex traumas, that really light up those, mm-hmm. you know, the amygdala and the, the limbic areas with strong emotion. How are you measuring and what are you noticing post-treatment that shows that there's not just a self-report change, but there's some, there's some real change that's taken place. What do you notice and what are you, how are you able to measure it, Brad? Well, we, we have done one study so far, and we have a couple of other studies that we're going to be embarking on soon. The study that we did was with people who were dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, yes. and also yeah. with depression. And the effect that releasing a heart wall would have on those people. And what we found was that these were measured about a week after their heart wall was removed. And that typically can take anywhere from a week to two weeks. And so it was about a three-week outside limit on these people. And we found that within three weeks, these people were all self-reporting improvement of about 30, I believe it was 37% improvement overall for PTSD and 36%, I believe, for depression. And of course, if we follow that out, even further, we think we would have seen much, much greater improvement, but that was just in the initial phases. Now, the other thing, of course, that we're seeing is just the anecdotal evidence that's overwhelming from people literally all over the world. We've had over 10,000 people send in stories about how this has changed their lives, all kinds of things, pain, physical pain, Mental, emotional problems, all kinds of things. There's a study that's ongoing right now into childhood dissociation, where what they're finding is specialists with working with children who have been traumatized and who have dissociated their personality into multiple personalities. Usually when they work with these kids, it takes about two years to be able to bring all of those personalities back together and bring them back into a whole And they're finding that with the emotion code and with the body code work, they're cutting that time down to about two months. So very exciting work that's being done. That is exciting work that's being done to integrate personalities like that. It is typically a long-term, very complex, very patient-driven 
process. That's that's fantastic. I I, I love. I would love to continue to to learn more about this and watch and see what some of these studies reveal. As we're talking today, this is exciting. And I love the idea that you're saying this is not just for our releasing those things that have been trapped for us and to releasing ourselves into our fullest potential, having a chance to be realized, whether it's something that we've gone through or something that's gone on before us that we've unknowingly inherited, to be free from that and released from that. I would love our audience to learn, Brad, how to find out more about you, about Discover Healing and about the things that you offer, whether it's online events and certifications and group trainings. Direct our our listeners on how to find out more about you. We have two sites, really. Our main site is discoverhealing.com. And at that site, you can find out all about certification. We offer certification for people who are interested in really mastering these methods. Level one certification is, is the emotion code. Level two certification is body code. And the body code picks up, and by the way, the body code is a new book that just came out last month. And uh, it's also a methodology that enables us to tap into the subconscious mind to ask about all the other kinds of imbalances that the body might have, not just emotional baggage, but everything else, everything from pathogens to toxins to nutritional deficiencies and so on. Um, So we do offer certification in those two levels. We have events going on different places around the world. I'll be in Europe, for example, June and July teaching. We do online events and things. And those are all all available at discoverhealing.com. Fantastic. Then my personal blog is at drbradleynelson.com. It's drbradleynelson.com. And that's where I have my personal info and things. These are great sites. Yeah, listeners, you're going to enjoy going on and seeing this. I enjoyed researching you and and getting a chance to listen to a lot of things and also listen to some of the testimonies that people are excitingly sharing about the changes that you brought in your life. Well, Brett, I sure enjoyed having you on the show today. You know, I, I, I think you've helped us appreciate that our bodies are these vibrant, energetic, and emotional, spiritual beings that we don't oftentimes think about. We think of the heart as a pump. What if it is so much more? And what if with what you're helping us appreciate... We get to also understand that our bodies want to heal. And there's this innate ability inherently within each one of us, this desire to kind of right itself, if you will. And we just need to learn how to tap into it. And you've given us a way to kind of open that door to do just that. So thank you so much for being with us today. (laughs) I think it is too. And really enjoyed being with you. Thank you for uh, for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me on. It's been great to have you with us. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Brad and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.